and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 165, We Can No Longer Beat the Russians. Last time, as the Soviets tried to keep their momentum going after taking Kiev by pushing further out west towards Zitomir, it was the SS Liebstandata, along with General Balk's 48th Panzer Corps, that managed to stop them cold and even pushed them back towards Kiev. And though this had succeeded, the German counterattack could not show a massive pile of Soviet dead, the goal of General Balk. For, at this point of the war, each soldier fighting for Nazi Germany needed to kill at least five Soviet troops before they died. Yet this was not happening. What was needed was a return to the first year of Barbarossa, the massive encirclements with hundreds of thousands of enemy troops now powerless. But those days were over. For that, the Wehrmacht and SS divisions needed room to maneuver, and lots more men. Yet it was the Soviets who were dominating the territory and had the majority of fighting men on the various fields. What to do? But this question belonged to the aggressors, which the Nazis no longer were. Even though the dash towards Zitomir had been checked, there was no time to think, what do we do next, as the Soviets countered with their own general offensive on December 24, 1943. And this was along the entire Dnieper line, which the Germans had sacrificed and fought so hard to construct. Not that it mattered, because the Soviets rushed forward after intense artillery barrages, and though losing men, found the weak points along the Germans' line. To be sure, positions manned by the likes of the Viking Division, supported by the Walloon Brigade, held their ground, but not those units to either side of them. To Hitler's thinking, who, it has to be said, had once shown flashes of military brilliance, like when he altered the attack plan on France, now only had one response, stand fast, which again negated the powerful and mobile units at his disposal. It was as if he was fighting the Great War all over again. The result of his order was that those units that stood their ground were soon passed by the enemy, and by mid-January the attacking Russians had gone far enough west to then turn and begin to encircle those very stationary German divisions. And on January 28th, the Viking with the Walloon Brigade was completely cut off, as were several other German pockets. As things stood, the Viking and other German units with it, some 59,000 in total, were trapped in the Corson area near Turkasi, about 60 miles or 96 kilometers southeast of Kiev. Manstein prepared to react to this development by having another armored division get ready to move out. His idea was to drive hard at a point of the circle around the Viking and help them break out. But Hitler had, supposedly, a better idea. Still thinking that his generals thought too small, why not use that rescue force instead to encircle the Soviets who were encircling the Viking. The answer or answers to this idea should have been obvious to any right-thinking person, but it's safe to assume at this point that this description 
does not fit Hitler, as his empire was beginning to crumble. He would not be the first or last person to slide into a world of his own making, as reality violently shifted from the one he desired. Namely that there weren't enough soldiers in the rescue party to encircle the Russians, and second, it was the Soviets who controlled the areas around the Viking pocket. So his idea was a non-starter. Still, he was the Fuhrer, so that's the way, his way, that this was going to play out. The German counterattack towards the Russian advance and encirclement got underway, but it was a failure from the first. Yet before Hitler called it off on February 11th, not only did the rescue party lose men, but the trapped Viking and other units were whittled down as they had no room to maneuver. With Hitler's plan called off, Manstein was given back control of the 3rd Panzer Corps, and his plan was reactivated. But by now, much of the existing fuel had been used up, as had ammunition. But Manstein wasn't going to let the Viking go without a fight. The 3rd Panzer Corps narrowed its focus and began to fight its way towards the pocket. However, five days into this new offensive, there began a shortage of fuel, and the odd rainstorm ruined the roads, so that the tip of the 3rd Panzer got as far as the Niloy River on February 16th. Then they were stopped by the enemy. The only option now was if the Viking division fought their way to their would-be rescuers. And fortunately, General Wilhelm Stemmermann, in command of the trapped German units, had been doing just that. Because the general had anticipated something like this, and at the very least the status quo of standing there, fighting off attack after attack, was a recipe for disaster, he already had his men leave behind their heavy equipment and much of their artillery. This left the Viking to head out in front, now moving west, with the SS Walloon Brigade to bring up the rear. In fact, by February 16th, when the rescue party was bogged down, the Viking was just five miles away from their location, yet there were still many enemy units in between them. Wasting no time, a far-from-perfect corridor was carved out of the Soviet's position to connect the two German forces, and as soon as it was established, the trapped Germans started running towards the west. The Viking division was manning the corridor and doing all within their ability to keep it open. Still, the lane was narrowing as the Soviets pressed in from the north and south. The next day, February 17th, with the German infantry dashing through the open lane, the enemy went from pressing the corridor with infantry and shelling attacks to attempt to smash it to pieces with tanks and Cossack cavalry. The men of Viking held themselves together enough, not to mention the corridor, that when the Soviets broke into the passageway, they paid the ultimate price soon after. Yet it was a harrowing experience for the defenders regardless. Thus the situation forced the Soviets to change tactics. As it was punishing to hit the leading units of the Germans, the attackers then went after the rear, namely the Walloon commander, and his men, or rather, commanders, 
as the original leader had been killed a few days ago by a sniper. His replacement was then seriously wounded when overseeing the rear of the column. Still, the Walloons held it together. Finally, the moment the trapped Germans had been waiting for arrived as the first of their number reached the Niloy River. And even though the 3rd Panzer Corps had laid down bridges, the desperate soldiers running towards the river did not see them, thus jumped into the 30-yard-wide, freezing, rushing waterway. Right away, the men who could not swim went under. Then those who were wounded disappeared as their strength evaporated. Still others were swept away by the raging river. In all, of the 59,000 trapped men, 19,000 of them were killed, as the Soviets had been shelling the positions the entire time they crossed the river, or they were taken prisoner. Another 11,000 were wounded, though they had successfully crossed, so they would be out of the fighting for some time. The Walloon Brigade, which had held it all together on the end, suffered 1,200 casualties from their original number of 1,850 men. And so Berlin did what capitals have done for thousands of years when facing a major setback. They lied by saying that the river crossing and retreat was a tactical decision to strengthen the Germans' position, and that many Russians, in fact, had lost their lives in trying to stop them. But that was not true. Yet for all their losses and misery suffered by the SS and Wehrmacht formations, it was about to happen again, as Hitler was holding fast to his hold-fast order. Near the end of February, the Russian advance along the entire southern front, began to slow. Berlin assumed the enemy troops were tired, which was probably true. But now that Stalin had the initiative, he was not going to let it go. So, true, he let his men rest as February turned to March. But during that time, he was bringing forward even more men, as the Soviet interior lines were becoming more efficient. So when the Soviets started moving forward in early March from the Pripet marshes all the way down to the Black Sea, now with even more numbers and thus more opportunities for the exploitation of gaps, another German formation, this one 200,000 strong, the 1st Panzer Army of General Hebe, became trapped again as Hitler ordered no retreat. The 1st Panzer Army was in western Ukraine, near Kamenets-Podolsky, on the eastern side of the River Dniester, just above the Romanian border, to which the Soviets, who had learned much since June 22nd of 1941, did not try to push the Germans here back, but rather sent massive forces to either side of them, to pass the Germans by, and only then turn towards each other, meeting on March 25th, another German salient had to be saved. And perhaps in a moment of sanity, Hitler saw his mistake, so told Manstein to tell Huba that he was allowed to break out by heading south. This would put the 1st Panzer across that section of the River Dniester, where another defensive line could be established. 
But now the experienced Soviets quickly figured this out, thus their southern flank had been beefed up to prevent this very move. In reaction, more out of desperation than cleverness, Manstein told Hubei to head west rather than south. Perhaps the enemy would be caught off guard. And in truth, the topography to the west was more challenging, so indeed there were fewer Soviet troops blocking the way. As before, another rescue force was quickly being assembled, this of the 2nd SS Panzer Corps under General Paul Hauser. But to look closely at the 2nd SS Panzer Corps, made up of the 9th and 10th Panzer Divisions, one would see many, too many, fresh, young, inexperienced faces, as within the Panzer Corps was the 12th Panzer SS Division Hitler Union, and males in their late teens from the Reich Labor Force. But now trained, equipped, and needed by their country, the 2nd Panzer Corps headed out. As this was not the first Germans trapped, General Hubei stayed relatively calm. He even referred to his force as a traveling pocket as they were fighting their way west. But the major reason for his calm was more due to the men who were trapped with him. Some of the best that Nazi Germany had to offer. Within the 200,000 manned ever moving formation was the SS Das Reich Kampfgruppe that had stayed behind when the rest of their formation went to France. There was also the Liebstandarte, yet their numbers would be so low after this was over that they would be downgraded to a Kampfgruppe themselves, a battle group. Also within this force was the 6th SS Volunteer Assault Brigade Langmark from the Belgium Flanders. Well equipped and trained, this had helped the Das Reich Kampfgruppe and had earned a solid reputation. And all these men would need every ounce of training and dedication they possessed, because the Soviets were not going to make this easy. The Germans had to fight all during the day, and then walk west at night as the Soviets backed off, only to repeat this when the sun rose again. The lead elements of the rescue force, the 2nd SS Panzer Corps, engaged the enemy on April 4th. Two days later, which probably seemed like an eternity to the retreating Germans, the leading men of each of the German groups made contact on April 6th. As before, with the Soviets giving up little room to maneuver, a corridor was established, and the 1st Panzer Army began to funnel through. Also as before, the retreating force left much of their heavy equipment behind in the name of speed. And as this war was not over, and more and more Soviet troops would be barreling down on them, the Germans would find themselves with less equipment to fight with because of all these retreats. And it would only get worse in early 1944, as the Soviets were able to make improvements and get out into the field practically the entire range of their weaponry, from tanks to the Su-85 assault guns to the first Joseph Stalin heavy tank. By the time the two German forces were well together and formed another defensive line, albeit with less heavy weapons, 
it was found that they had only lost 12,000 men. They were getting good at this. But as Churchill had said three years earlier, wars are not won by evacuations. With the Germans pushed so far back west, by April of 1944, practically all of the Ukraine was back in Soviet hands, which allowed, a month later, for the Crimea to finally be liberated. But that meant now Romania and Hungary were vulnerable to Soviet attack. Yet Stalin and his generals, who were watching the Germans, had learned the dangers of bulges in their lines. Thus, they halted the southern attacks for now to focus further north. And for the Germans, as the southern or right half of their line was under less pressure, Himmler began to make moves to bring up the strength of his Waffen-SS. The second Panzer Corps, again men in their late teens, was pulled back and somewhat to the north to act as a reserve in Poland. The whittled-down Viking and Totenkopf were pulled back, but only so far for refitting. Gone were the days when they could go all the way to France for R&R. Equipment was brought to them as they rested, knowing it was only a matter of time before they were thrown back into the soup. However, the relatively lucky, as they saw it, Liebstandante and das Reich battle group were sent to Western Europe to acquire more men, to rest, and to await the surely coming Second Front of the Western Allies. This left the now only 400-man-strong Flemish Langmark Brigade. They were sent to Bohemia in April of 44 to await more men. When they were back up to 1,700 men, again Himmler had been hoping that this number would have been much larger. They would be sent back to the front. Though the military situation had altered 90 degrees for the Germans, the morale of the SS fighting men was still relatively high. This was probably due to their indoctrination that they were the elite forces of Hitler himself. And though they had been falling back since March of 43, they had been inflicting heavy casualties on their enemy. Indeed, it was only the fault of the wider military situation which was causing them to continually fall back. It was not their fault. Besides, being soldiers, they were focused on the land right in front of them, and little else. As for the bigger picture of the war, that was for the officers, and as such, their morale was much lower, even the SS officers. The fanatical Sepp Dietrich was heard to say, we can no longer beat the Russians. But if that was true, if there was no turnaround for Germany's military fortunes, what of Himmler's plans for a Europe dominated by the SS? But Himmler's problems were so vast and complex, they had to be compartmentalized. First, his officers were starting to bond with the officers of the Wehrmacht, as they had, many times over, worked together to save trapped units. The SS Führer did not need that kind of fraternization, which meant that, in certain circles, Hitler, even Himmler himself, was being criticized by ranking SS men. Now, 
Much of this was probably simple frustration over the reversal of the fortunes of war. Still, Himmler strove to keep up the Nazi ideology, which he believed to be his saving grace. The SS had to stay loyal to him and stay above politics, but that was becoming a thing of the past. The best that Himmler could do was to keep preaching the message of hate. All non-Germans were to be hated and dominated. If that could be maintained, then his vision may still live during the war and maybe after the war. If not, Himmler could be looking at a possible civil war within Nazi Germany as it fought off its foes from all sides. So, as things stood in the early spring of 1944, some of the SS were still loyal, some joined with the Wehrmacht in thinking that the fighting should continue, for now, but only till a political compromise could be reached with the Allies. But, at the very least, Himmler still had one ace up his sleeve, the oath of loyalty that the Wehrmacht and SS troops had taken to Hitler himself. <laughs> 